Well, today we're going to continue um, in the teaching of out of Jesus' genealogy in Matthew 1 in preparation for uh, Christmas. And so we're going to begin in Matthew uh, chapter 1 towards the bottom. We're going to be talking about two new women. Uh, so there's five women in the genealogy of Jesus. And this is very rare. We, uh, as Tim Keller has written, the Geneal the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, who are the two Gospels that talk about the, the coming of Jesus the first time, explain his birth and how it came to pass that God came here and put on flesh, the incarnation. They do not, neither one of them begin with the line, once upon a time, all right? Once upon a time, like many stories do. They begin with facts, and one of the facts that Matthew begins with is the genealogy and the lineage of Jesus. And in those days, that was your resume. We talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago. It was your resume of who you were, where you came from, or as I heard one uh, famous black preacher say, it matters who your pappy was. Okay, and it really did. Today, it isn't so important. I know my wife, we have a genealogy of her family that her dad put together before he passed away, and it's a giant tree drawn on a very large uh, poster board type thing, very professionally done, framed in. It's actually a tree, and it begins many generations ago showing the lineage of Carolyn's family on her father's side. So still for us today, uh, genealogy is important. The, one of the biggest selling commodities now is to get your DNA tested to see where you came from, what your nationality is, what your roots are. And so everybody's always wondering, where did I come from? And what is my origin? Who am I? Especially in the America, which is such a melting pot. Uh, I've had so many people said I was this national, my assistant up at Billings at the church. She, her last name is Lopez. She looks Hispanic. And we just were just so sure she was a Hispanic last Christmas. She got her, uh, DNA tested in one of those test kits and came back that she's mostly Greek. And so now we don't know how to treat her or who she is or anything. And so uh, she's just flabbergasted, okay? So she, uh, and so all of us find those surprises. But we, why do we do that? Because we want to know our origins. And so just like that, Matthew says, I can put legitimacy to this Jesus, that he is the promised Messiah. He is the one who's come through the line of David all the way down from Abraham, and I will show you. I will lay out his ancestry and who begat who and who birthed who and who was the father of who and who was the mother of who until we come down to Jesus, until we come to, to Joseph, who is betrothed to Mary and who gave birth to Jesus. And so it's, it's so important. And so we're, why are there five women in there, which was a no-no of those days? Women were not included in genealogies. Their bloodline was not considered important, nor uh, a right to inherit land, property, or privilege. They, the women's were not, uh, were not equal to the men in the genealogy. One thing the Gospels are clear about in the coming of Jesus, he brought equality to women. Not that the church has handled that well through all the years. The church has failed in many times, become uh, much too much patriar uh, patriarch, ick, uh, patriarchal, is that the word? patriarchal in its behavior, but uh, I think the church uh, has led in many ways that there is neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, nor slave nor free. It's saying everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. 
and the church has been a great place to promote women. So one of the big places we see that in that genealogy, that there's five women mentioned and five women who had real troubles, five women who are not pure uh, in many aspects. They are not, uh, if you were trying to make up a lineage to show that somebody should be the king of the Jews, you would not include these five women because they bring question. They bring hesitancy to saying, why would this be an ancestor of Jesus when there's, when there's flaws in their life or they were treated poorly or they weren't treated like queens uh, or, or the honored mothers they should have been? And it's to show us so much the aspect of who Jesus is, of who he wants in his kingdom, of who he's not ashamed of, and who he rightfully calls his children. And especially in this case, uh, his mothers or father would call them his daughters by adoption through faith into the kingdom. So let's talk about Ruth, and if we have time, we'll get to Bathsheba. So um, let's go ahead and next slide there. So let's read just a little bit out of Matthew uh, chapter 1, a few of the verses, and it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Salman, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, we talked about her last week, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, that's who we're going to talk about in a moment, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So you can see we get to Ruth, she's right in line, very close to Jesse, who was the father of King David. And to the Jews, it would have been very important to know David's name in this genealogy because David was the great king, and there was promised a Messiah would come from the line of David and would sit on David's throne forever, ruling and reigning. And that's why so many of our Christmas carols even say, uh, talk about David and the throne of David. So let's pray before we go through this. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for placing this woman, Ruth, and Bathsheba in your genealogy. That, Lord, we, we ask for wisdom of why you chose these women, of why they, through your providence and power and foreknowledge, were placed into your lineage, Lord, and what we are to learn from that. I ask that you go deeper than any of us can uh, comprehend with just our minds alone and that our spirits will be fed and that we will leave this place knowing more of your love and your purposes for your kingdom, for all people, and for us. In the name of Jesus, we welcome our brothers and sisters from the other church, and may we all together worship you and uh, through the hearing and study of your word. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so here we go. Next slide there, Richard. Okay, Ruth. There's all kinds of art about Ruth, and I've sprinkled some of it in these slides. It's amazing to do uh, to type in Ruth and click on images in Google search and see all the wonderful paintings. She's been a great woman who has tried to be uh, emulated and painted throughout the centuries. I thought, I asked Carolyn, I said, have you heard of any new babies named Ruth? Is there any buddy in here named Ruth at all. Okay, so uh, no, not, not surprising, I did research. Ruth was at the highest point of use of baby girls in America in 1878, okay? <laughs> That's when there were a lot of baby girls being named Ruth. Today, it's mostly Riley and what else we got? Rose, a lot of arts, but the Ruth was big, and since then, it's kind of trailed off. Uh, so, but I remember 
as a kid, I've met a lot of older women. It was still popular during the Depression era, babies being born in the 20s and 30s, and I remember a lot of women named Ruth. It's a great name to name your daughters after because this woman, I hope you will see after we study this, is just a magnificent-hearted uh, woman who does great things and in turn has the privilege of being inserted into the genealogy of Jesus. All right, let's go on. I'm going to turn off these lights here, I think. Could you turn them off for me, Rachel? We can see the slides a little better. Thank you. Okay, she's uh, the third of five women in the genealogy of Jesus, the great-grandmother of David, and the book of Ruth is her story. One of only two books in the Bible to be named after a woman. What's the other one? Esther. All right, and so uh, the story of Ruth, let me just quickly give a synopsis. I'd love if we had time to read it, and if you haven't read it lately, maybe that would be something you'd want to do in your devotions uh, as we go up to Christmas because she is there at the, in the story of Christmas, of the coming of Jesus. Ruth uh, was married in, okay, so a man, Amalek, Amalek was uh, uh, married a woman named Naomi, and they had two sons, and there was a famine in the land of Israel. There was, uh, ran out of food. So Amalek took Naomi and their two sons, and they went to Moab. Can we go, uh, Richard, go down till we get to, and we'll go back to the slide, but go down to, yeah, there it is. Moab was where Jordan is today. So as you can see, there's Israel, the little green sliver, just uh, next to the blue arrow there, under the blue arrow. And then there's Jordan, and that's where Moab was. It didn't cover all of current Jordan. It was kind of the middle of Jordan, Moab. So they fled from Israel over to Moab, which still had rain, or still had moisture of some kind, or the crops didn't fail there, whatever caused the famine. And so he had to flee to feed his family. So while they're there, he has two sons who are looking for wives. So they take women from Moab, the Moabites. Now, the Moabites are, are arch enemies of Israel, and you're not supposed to marry a Moabite. And the fact that Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus and she's a Moabite woman, is even more head-scratching. This foreigner comes in and is now inserted into the genealogy of Jesus, probably showing to all of us that God and his kingdom is open to all people, not just the Jews. And so the, why the Moabites are so despised is they are the offspring of incest of Lot and his daughter. Now remember Lot, was, that he had two daughters, and they didn't have husbands, and so they got their dad drunk, and um, to make it a little PG, uh, then, and what? Yes, yeah, somehow, oh, I'm glad I got a laugh from somebody there. Um, make it a little PG, they uh, had incest with their dad to get pregnant, because remember, we've studied the last few weeks. If you didn't have children, you were in big trouble as a woman in those days. That was the social security system. It would be like us today, facing 65 or 70 years old and have nothing in savings and nobody to rely on. And you would be poverty stricken, maybe homeless. So a woman without a child was something you didn't wanna be. So women took extreme measures to try to have offspring, not only to carry on the name of the family, but to provide for them 
security in their old age. Their children would take care of them. Their children would have them in their houses. The children would share the crops with them. The mothers would be uh, taken care of. Without that, it was bad. So Lot's daughters did the unthinkable, but to them, it was pressure. I got to have a child or I'm going to just die of starvation and out in the uh, homeless as an as a older lady. So the Moabites then were looked upon as conceived in sin and arch enemies of Israel. Okay, let's go back to the other slide. All right, so uh, let's just talk about the book of Ruth. So they go over there. They find two Moabite women. One of them is Ruth. The other is Opar, uh, kind of like Oprah, but a little different. Uh, Opar, and they had these two wives, and then Emelik uh, dies his two sons die. So now you got three women without any men. So now you got Naomi and she says, my life's been so rough. She changes her name to what? Mara means a life of bitterness. Like, wow, I've been dealt a really bad hand. And now I have these two daughter-in-laws to take care of that are kind of looking to me like, what are you going to do? But they're Moabites and, uh, and they don't even belong to my line of people but I, I love these daughter-in-laws because they loved my sons. And so she uh, and them cleaved together. But then Naomi says, I'm not surviving here. I got nobody to take care of me. I got to go back to Israel and see if I can reconnect with my husband's family, maybe get his land back, maybe somehow uh, get the, at least the crops from the land. There's all kinds of Jewish laws um, that Carol and I have been reading about uh, even just uh, on the drive down here today of all that was involved of a woman trying to get an inheritance from her hu dead husband and uh, from the land and how many ways and permutations that could take. But to make a long story short, she goes back to Israel and the two women, the two daughter-in-laws say, we're going to go with you. And Naomi says, oh, that's very kind of you. And they were going with her because she said, we want to take care of you, mom. The kind of calling her mom because you don't have a husband and maybe we can help out. We're younger. And Naomi goes, no, no, you stay here. Go back to your people in Moab. Go back to Moabites. Go back to your father's homes. God will give you another husband and you will find rest and security there. And so one of them does go back. So let's go. Uh, let's go on to the next slide after this one. OK, the uh, let's go on again. Let me just uh, let's go. We're going to go on some more. Blah, blah. Okay, well, let's stop there for a minute. Okay, so she's a Moabite. Why she's improbable to be in the genealogy. Arch enemies of Israel, an insignificant woman. Husband and husband's brother die. And she makes a covenant with a mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, last week we talked about the leveret or the leverite inheritance. That if a brother dies, then his other brother uh, marries the widow of his brother and so that offspring can be produced to continue the name of the, of the family. But in this case, the brother, the dad, everybody's dead. So there's no way to continue the line. Okay, we'll go on. She makes a covenant uh, with her mother-in-law. We'll talk about that a little later. A stranger in the land she, when she goes back to Israel. Okay, go on. All right, so here's a, I, I love this beautiful painting of, of some artist's conception of who Ruth is. All right, uh, let's go on. Now. Ruth says these favor these words. So when the other woman turns back in this etching from very long time ago, you can see um, that Obar turns and goes back to Moabites. 
but Ruth stays with Naomi. Naomi is the figure in the middle in this picture, and Ruth is the woman on the right with the hat on her head and a staff. And she's saying, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to choose you, and I won't go back to my Moabite family. I want to be with you. You are uh, my new mother. And in the book of Ruth, Ruth no longer, uh, Naomi no longer calls Ruth a daughter-in-law. She begins to call her her daughter. She accepts her. And these famous words are said here. I've done a lot of weddings over the uh, 40-some years of ministry, and this is usually one of the most favorite scriptures that we read in a wedding. Even though it was originally said by Ruth to Naomi, it is covenant language. It was also said in a few other places of the Bible when uh, I believe King Jehoshaphat was asked to join with other kings. They used the same kind of words. Okay, I'll join with you. Your people will be my people. Your ways are my ways. I will covenant with you. In a few places in the Bible, these same words are used. This is covenant language. This is saying, I'm going to be faithful to you no matter if you're unfaithful to me. This is not a contract. Remember a contract for you guys that are in construction here? Contract's different than a covenant. Contract is if one party defaults uh, on their part of the contract, the contract is void completely. A covenant, not so. One party can be unfaithful. The covenant still stands. God says in a covenant to us, I love you. And I will be with you to the end of times. Even if we default, walk away from him, God is still faithful to his covenant. That promise of his presence with us is always there. So this is covenant language. And Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. In other words, she's saying, I'm no longer going to be a Moabite by identity. I am now going to be a Jew with you. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. I will now worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, no longer the God of the Moabites. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, can you, did anybody have that scripture read in their wedding? We had a few people, one person, two people. Okay, uh, it's, you can see why it's such a wonderful scripture to read in uh, for a wedding because it's that covenant. Uh, I am no longer my identity is my, my myself. My identity now is wrapped up in the two of us and be it treated me ever so severely unless it be death that separates us. Okay, covenant language. So we go on. Okay, Ruth and the providence of God. Ruth chapter two, the two women. So there's two women without income. And so when they go back to the fields, uh, when they go back to Israel, they still, they're desperate. They have no food. They have no men working. There's no way to stay alive. So uh, Naomi says, why don't, I do have a relative of my husband still alive. His name's Boaz. And I, what about you go glean in the fields? There was a law in Israel in those days that every field that was harvested had to leave part of the grain for on the, laying on the ground for the poor people to glean, to come and take so that they could survive. It was their food bank of that day. It was their food stamps of that day that the poor got the right to glean or to take off the edges of the field or as the harvesters went through, uh, anything that fell off the uh, sheaves and the stack of grain. And so she went to glean in the fields of Boaz 
and he became the family redeemer. He was the only one in line, uh, still alive, that, well, there was another one in line, sorry. He was one of the few people in line who could say, I will, I can redeem these women, I can give them inheritance, and I can give them security in their old age, all right? So uh, she goes there, and by the providence of, is this uh, by chance or by providence? Remember, the providence of God, I give you uh, a definition there again. We talked about that in Jonah, but it says, God's preservation, control, and work for the greatest good and glory. God's providence his power, his authority is always working to bring about his plan and to take care of even us today. So this was this just chance that she was in a field and Boaz comes up to meet her and says, who is this young woman? She explains who she is and Boaz says this to her, I've heard about you. I heard you left your own people. You have cleaved to your mother-in-law, Naomi. You have been so good to her because you're young enough to glean where Naomi is, is probably uh, old and a little bit rickety that it'd be hard for her to glean in the fields and do a full day of work to get enough food. And so I've heard about you, Boaz said. You are an amazing young woman, Ruth. And yes, you can glean in my fields. And in fact, I'm going to put you right after my servants who are cutting the grain. You'll be first in line that you will get the best of the gleaning. And in fact, you can even sit at the threshing hole f floor with my women. And I will even make it easier for you to get grain. And so when Ruth comes back uh, to Naomi and, Ruth's, and Naomi sees all this grain that Ruth's got, way much more than should have been uh, able to be gleaned by a woman in one day in the edges and the leftovers, she goes, what has happened? She said, I met Boaz. And remember, he's your relative, Naomi, and he recognizes our story. He knows what happened to us. He knows that your husband died, that my husband died, that your two sons have died, and that he gave me favor and lets me glean with the, with the best of them. And I've got so much uh, left over. So it'd be like getting a super supply of food stamps. It would be like getting a freezer that you could store things in for us today. So we uh, let's go back to that slide for a minute, Richard. So at the bottom, how do we see this kind of blessing and provision in, for us today and this providence of God? In Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now, uh, that's how we say today that God's providence is working in our lives to bring glory and good from even the tragedies of our life, from the death of loved ones, from looking like there's no hope, that God's providence, and we claim Romans 8.28 for our lives, that God is working in all things for our good because we love him and have been called according to his purpose. Does that mean it's always easy? No. Does that mean we always understand? No. Does that mean we sometimes feel like we're in a dark place? Uh, yes. And so, but we trust that God's providence is working. I love that uh, etching there and showing Ruth on the left and probably Boaz and one of his servants on the right, and she has a sheaf of uh, uh, stalks of grain uh, given to her, laying in her arms, and uh, she has now gotten favor with Boaz. Okay, we'll go on to the next one. Now, I want to talk about this. This is important. The picture on the right there, you can say, you can see that Ruth stays with Naomi where Opa leaves and goes back to be a Moabite. So I love that painting because it really shows how 
Naomi says no. She clings to her like a child would cling to their mothers. And it's showing this incredible covenant. And one of the reasons that Ruth is in Jesus' genealogy is because she displays this wonderful character called Hesed. It is an Old Testament term. I heard it many times in seminary, but I've just come to understand it more even this week in studying these scriptures. Hesed is one of the biggest reasons that Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus. This is not a word that translates easily into English. It is a bigger word than any one word we have in English. And it is displayed throughout the scriptures. God even describes himself as Hesed. That, and I think if I was really pronouncing it correctly, it's got that CH at the beginning, Chesed, Chesed, that how we'd pronounce those Jewish words. But if you would give me permission to leave off the Chesed so we don't have to sterilize the microphone at the end of the service, uh, I'll just say Chesed, all right? Now, what is Chesed? Well, it's a combination of love or loving somebody and loyalty. We don't have a word for it in the English language. It means we sometimes translate it as loving kindness. You can see loving kindness is even a compound word, two words put together, love and kind, and it begins to kind of unfold what God's hesed is or the hesed uh, displayed by Naomi. It's acting benevolently towards one another. Beyond This is one definition of it, acting benevolently towards one another beyond the expectations of legal and even moral obligations. You can know when somebody or yourself is functioning or displaying hesed because you go beyond what you're legally bound to do even and what you're morally bound to do or even just normal expectations. You go way beyond that. And that is what Naomi is doing, oh, sorry, that is what Ruth is doing for Naomi. Ruth didn't have to stay with her. Ruth had every right to go back to her, her um, own people, the Moabites, and even Naomi said, released her. I release you, two women, I, my two daughter-in-laws. I release you. Go back. Don't get stuck with me. You may never find a man then, and uh, go back and be rest. Don't worry about me. I will go back to Israel and see what happens, even though I see my life is bitter now, uh, I'll, I'll just chance it and go back. But Ruth goes above and beyond. No, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to help take care of you. You're too old to glean the fields. I will go do that. Even if we live in poverty, I will stick with you. And she chose that over the comfort of going back to Mo, Moab. All right, let's go on the next slide. So let's talk about Hesed in the Bible. Where else do we see this? In Micah 6.8. One of the most memorized scripture by Christians, I think it was one of the first ones I ever memorized as a new believer. It says in Micah, he has shown you, O man, some scriptures say, O man, or O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That word mercy is chesed. If you look it up in a Hebrew Bible or uh, the English and the Hebrew words underneath it, the word mercy there is hesed. So we are to act justly and to love hesed, loving kindness, love and loyalty together, and going beyond what's morally and legally obligated in our relationships, both with each other 
and our relationship with God. So that's what's required of us. If we want to know, does God want us to walk in Hesed? Yes, he does. And that's probably why Ruth is in this genealogy to be a demonstration of that for us. Let's go to the next scripture. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God even defines himself with this word. And he passed in front of Moses. So remember, Moses said, I want to see you, God. I want to see you. And God said, Moses, you couldn't stand it to see me. Your uh, imperfections could not stand before the perfectness of my being. Therefore, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by you, but you won't be able to see me uh, in my face. You'll be able to see me as I pass by and see the back of my head. So when he says that, when he passed in front of Moses, he proclaimed, the Lord, so this is God talking about himself, God defining himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in hesed. We translate it as love, but the actual Hebrew word is hesed, loving kindness and faithfulness, maintaining hesed to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. So God even says, that's who I am. I am one that goes above and above in loving kindness to you, in love and loyalty to you, above and beyond what legally I'm contracted to do in the covenant, and even morally what's expected of me of a God to love his people. I go above and beyond those things because that's who I am. It is my nature. And as we know, Part of our journey as Christians is line upon line, precept upon precept, we are being made into the image of God, into the image of Christ. We were made in his image. The fall has marred that image, but in Christ dwelling in us through our faith in him, him coming to make us new, we now become more and more like him. Someday we will just be like him. That won't happen till we see him face to face. Then it says we shall be just like him. But until then, we should all be growing in hesed. We should all be growing in this loving kindness, this love and loyalty, this uh, action of love beyond what's morally and uh, legally responsible or expected. And so that's who we're becoming. Now, Luke 10, 30 through 37, not going to read the whole parable of the Good Samaritan. I hope you know it. A man coming down from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho gets robbed, beaten up, and left for dead. A priest comes by. A Levite comes by. They walk on the other side of the road. They're not going to have anything to do with this guy. Uh, ugh. And he's a Samaritan, not a Jew. It would be much like looking at a Moabite and say, ah, we're not going to touch him. He probably deserved what he got there. And they walk by, but then comes, uh, I'm sorry, he's not a Samaritan. The Samaritan is the one who takes care of him. Uh, the, the Levite, boy, thanks. Um, I, I got to stop here. Parentheses, time out. Uh, there was some fake news last week, all right? Uh, fake news is I said that uh, Judah did not bring the goat to Tamar, but he did bring the goat back to Tamar. And if you weren't here last week, don't worry about it. I just needed to correct myself and thank you when people come up and say Steve you were way off on that today and so I appreciate that keeps me humble so let me uh, go back I just flubbed that up to him trying to say so many things but anyway uh, the Levite and the priest leave the, the robbed guy on the side of the road it is the Samaritan that comes by who 
is hated by the Jews, who takes care of the, of the injured man and takes him and even does above and beyond what's morally asked. He not only cares for him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to uh, what we would call kind of an emergency room or a, an inn and tells the innkeeper, take care of him and here's some money and I'm even going to come back and pay you more if that's not enough. That Samaritan was not obligated to do that. That Samaritan didn't even have to take care of that injured Jewish man uh, who was robbed and beaten because he was hated by him. But he went above and beyond what's morally and legally expected, and he really displayed chesed. And that's what's called, and God hopes that we all do, because he's done that for us. Okay, let's go on. So, in Lamentations, the Old Testament... I love this one. The first songs I ever learned as a Christian, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Anybody know that old song? All right. So the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every, how often? Morning. Great is his faithfulness. Those, the steadfast love is the word hesed that we translate into our English Bibles, the steadfast love. That gives you another way of looking at that word. So that's who God is. That's who we are to be. That's who Ruth demonstrates we are. So let's go on. I love this uh, painting of Ruth and Naomi. Just love how she's covering her, her mother-in-law. Now she's accepted her as her mother, and she's helping protect her and cover her. I think the artist really understood the chesed of Ruth towards Naomi. I am, I am going above and beyond. I'm going to take care of you as if you're my own mom. And I'm hoping that there'll be a lineage still produced. All right, so let's go on. So, Ruth and the Kinsman Redeemer. That is supposed to be kind of a modern painting of there's Ruth uh, by Boaz. I think that circle there is supposed to be grain that's been gathered up, and they're on the threshing floor. And so in Ruth 3, 9, uh, when Boaz finds out who this young lady is gleaning in the field and find out that she's Ruth, he, Ruth answers to Boaz, I am your servant Ruth, she said. And then Ruth asks Boaz to spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. So now, through ingenuity, Ruth says, this is our chance to have children and offspring and get my mother-in-law's land back and that Naomi, even if she doesn't own the land again, because probably this land was abandoned when Naomi's husband and their two sons left to go to Moab to escape the famine, that land probably went back into the family line and or somebody else bought it or it's been sitting there still in Emelik's name, but Naomi's coming back and wonder if she can get it back. There's all kinds of complicated laws, and we're not even sure what the Jewish laws were in those days. So she, Ruth, and Naomi kind of think of this plan. You go in the middle of the night, go to the threshing floor. Now, nobody goes to the threshing floor in the middle of the night unless you were a prostitute. All right? So they, she, they take this risk, and... Ruth goes up and in the middle of the night lays next to Boaz. Now I'm going to keep this PG also, okay? Uh, lays next to Boaz 
And Boaz startles, like, who's this laying near my feet? And says, who are you? And he says, I'm Ruth, your servant, the one that you've met gleaning in the fields. And then she says, would you throw your garment over me and become the redeemer of me and my mother-in-law, Naomi, and bring us into your family? In other words, will you marry me? When a cloak was thrown over a woman, it was a symbol of betrothal. It was, you are now going to be my wife. So guys in here looking for a woman, just carry a cloak with you down the street. And I, and I guarantee in a short order, you will have a jail ministry. Okay. Now, we don't do that today, do we? Okay. So, but in those days, in the proper setting, in the proper uh, preparation, when somebody threw their cloak over you, that meant, I will take you as my wife. So, that's what, uh, you are my kinsman redeemer. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Okay, before we go through this slide, let me say this. So, Boaz goes, wow, not only are you a great woman to Naomi, but you have now want to bless me by becoming a, a, one of my wives, and that I will produce offspring through you that will carry on the name of your father-in-law and of your husband and his brother who have died. And so he said, you are, he even sees what Naomi's doing, no, sorry, what Ruth is doing is trying to bless Naomi by keeping the lineage of her husband still going. So he just realizes this Ruth is just amazing because I'm an old guy. Why would she want to marry me? The scripture's clear, it says that he's much older than Ruth, but she's doing it because of her hesed because she's going above and beyond what's morally or legally obligated in her relationships. And she wants to carry forth the name and bless her mother-in-law. And so when uh, he does that, he says, but wait a minute, I can't become your kinsman redeemer because there's one closer than me. Maybe this guy was a second cousin, Boaz. Or maybe he was the, an uncle and there was somebody closer, uncle, or somebody, he says, we got to make sure he doesn't redeem you first because he's got, he's got the, the first rights. So Boaz goes the next, I don't know, next day in the next short amount of time to the city gates, meets this kinsman redeemer and says, do you want to redeem Naomi and Ruth and uh, buy their land and give them the money as an inheritance, but you have to take Ruth as your wife and her offspring then become part of your family. And this guy who's first in line says, I'm not doing it because it's going to mean a financial loss to me because then that kinsman redeemer has to sell the land and give the price of the land to Naomi and Ruth. So he would only has to buy the land, but then he sells it and gives the money to Ruth and Naomi as their inheritance. So it's a financial loss. If you are a kinsman redeemer, it means there's, it's going to cost you. So this guy turns it down and says, no thanks. I don't want to get poorer for the doing this. Yeah, Ruth's a pretty good looking woman, but I am not going to lose money for that. And so uh, Boaz becomes the kins, kinsman redeemer. So what is what do we learn from the Ruth being in the genealogies? We learn the power of chesed. We learn that when you function in this loving kindness, this love and loyalty, going above and beyond, that it changes your situation. It changes your future. It changes the desperation into hope and provision. Ingenuity and goodwill of others combine to forge a future. Naomi 
Ruth and Boaz together forge a future for what should have been an extinguishing of a family line. And because it formed, uh, forged a future, they not are not extinguished. They actually become part of the lineage of Jesus, raised out of obscurity into prominence and has a whole book in the Bible written about her. No matter how insignificant we see ourselves, we're important to God's plan. There is no way that Ruth should have ever thought the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would care about me. But because she displayed chesed, because she loved above and beyond, cleaved to, covenanted with uh, her mother-in-law, God looked upon her and said, you belong in the lineage of my son because you have shown more love and more faithfulness than even some of my own Jewish people. I will take a Moabite and I will insert her into the family line of Jesus because you've displayed the love of God that I will display in my son Jesus even more than some of my Jewish line. And so he placed it in there. So you may be on the outside. God will insert you into his family and make you prominent because you practice love, loving kindness, and going above and beyond what's expected and doing more than you ever thought you were obligated to do. So God blesses a covenantal and a sacrificial life. Let's go on. When we practice hesed, we reap hesed. It's, it's a great place to see the law of reciprocity, to see give and it shall be given to you. Give has said, loving kindness and faithfulness and loyalty, and you will receive it back. Before Ruth ever received the chesed, loving kindness, the above and beyond that Boaz showed her, she already expressed that to, to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Okay, we'll go on. Next, hit it. Okay, the providence of God is always working in our lives and the world. There is power in family, real power in family. I know some of us have really broken families. Sometimes the most painful relationships are families because it's people we would normally not associate with, but during the holiday season, we do. But I want you to know that, in the, that if you can, this holiday season, you're with relatives that are hard to love or less than lovely, that God would give you by his spirit the power to practice chesed to them, that you'll go above and beyond because you'll say, they never do that for me. They treat me like trash. They're rude to me. They have never accepted me into this family. They've never been good to me. They've always are rude. They're always stingy. That instead you'd come with that opposite spirit that we've talked about in the last few weeks and that you would express chesed in those situations. May God grant us the power to do that because it can't come from us naturally because sometimes we're too wounded. We're too hard for us to forgive. But may the grace of God overflow us. May it may pour his grace and love and his chesed over us that we too may be expressions of that. We all need a redeemer to sustain life. Without Boaz, Naomi and Ruth were destined to die early, either through starvation, malnutrition, or abuse uh, out there. Ruth would have surely been raped and pillaged as a single young woman running around Israel in the fields. And so he counters hopelessness and death. The Redeemer does. And Jesus, really, when we come to be believers in Jesus, or maybe today is the day that you really turn your heart over to Jesus, 
that you say, Jesus, throw your cloak over me. Marry me. Provide for me. You are my redeemer. And you are the one I cleave to. I come and lay at your feet, Lord, and take me and be my husband. All of us, even us men, have a husband. And that husband is Jesus through faith. And may we be covered by his said. And it means resurrection. I think she's in there too because without the redemption of Boaz, this family line would have died out and it would have been no more. But because of, of Ruth's love, her loving kindness, that Boaz takes her, it means this whole family line was resurrected and now are in the lineage of Jesus. Okay, let's go on. Let me just talk for just a second about Bathsheba. Samuel 2nd 11 is her story. She becomes the wife of King David. David sees her when he should have been out for battle. He sees her across uh, a balcony uh, bathing. He lusts after her, asks her, orders her literally to come into his presence and has relationship with her. She conceives a son. To cover it up, David says, uh, I, gotta, I, got, I can't let this be known. I've got to cover my tracks. So he orders her husband back from the battlefield and tries to make, go home tonight, go home with your wife to make it look like this new child that's been conceived is from her husband. But he, being an honorable man, says, I can't go home to my wife in the comfort of my home. When my men are in the field, he sleeps at the gates of David's, uh, David's house. And so that's all foiled. So David's got to figure out what to do. So he sends him into a suicide battle and gets him killed. So now not only has Bathsheba been taken advantage of by the king, the man of power, and has now become pregnant by him, but now she is a widow. And the man who took advantage of her, David, has killed her husband. Horrible, abusive uh, story of a person of power totally uh, gone wrong and r ravaging a woman. All right? So... She's the fourth woman in the genealogy of Jesus. Let's go on. So uh, verse 5 there, Salman, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. And David was the father of Salman, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Notice she's not mentioned by name. She's only mentioned as the Uriah's uh, wife and Uriah was her husband that was sent into the suicide mission and but she is in the family line of Jesus all right let's go on all right so the improbability of Bathsheba being in the genealogy she's not part of the royal line the wife of one of Israel's top soldiers she's a woman just like all these other women improbable to be in the genealogy she's an adulteress and her first son dies Usually the first son gets all the inheritance. That's where the family line goes through. That's the name and the genealogy is the first son becomes the son of privilege. But the first son dies here. Okay, let's go on. So Bathsheba, a woman who sins and suffers loss, but she rises again. Her husband's killed in battle. First child dies in infancy. If you remember, this child she was pregnant with dies and David goes into mourning and repentance and the prophet, Nathan, comes to him and, sa and tells him a story and says, you are the perpetrator of this great sin. You took advantage of this other man's wife and you have made uh, a real problem here. And so uh, as a result, that first son dies. 
and now she gets pregnant again by David, and she nurses Solomon, who, by the Bible said, is probably the wisest man that's ever lived, becomes great, Re writes the book of Proverbs, writes Ecclesiastes. He becomes prominent in the history of God's people, and she becomes part of the ancestry of Jesus Christ. Let's go on. So what can we learn from Bathsheba? You can sin. You can suffer great loss. Be used by people more powerful than you, yet remain a person who God uses. In whatever situation you find yourself by, by excuse me, I'm supposed to say be faithful. In whatever situation you find yourself, be faithful to what God gives you to do. She became a dutiful and faithful wife to raise Solomon. Even though she was in grief of her child, first child dying, she must have been a great mother to Solomon because he comes out to be one of the wisest men ever, okay? You can rise from the pit of humiliation, loss, and shame. A marriage conceived in shame can bear fruit that will impact the world. And I don't know what, your, what, what situation you came from. I don't know your histories. But all I know is God can use even a marriage that was maybe born in shame or sin, and God can change the world with the offspring from the, those marriages. And so, no matter where you've come from, I believe Bathsheba's in the genealogy of Jesus to say, I will use you. You will rise again from the ashes. If the worst of worst has happened to you by people that had more power than you, I can still use you, and I can redeem your life, and you can be of significance to me. And I think, is that the last slide, Richard? Yeah. So I just want to just let that soak into our hearts, these two women in the genealogy of Jesus, because it really speaks of what Christmas is, the coming of Jesus to take all our messes, all our problems, and redeem us, bring resurrection to our life, to display his hesed into our lives that we truly may be people of hesed, that our God defines himself as being benevolent and giving and generous in our lives above and beyond what he's legally or morally obligated to do. And we bask in that every day. If there, the, fourth can, the third candle of, of Advent is to represent joy today in the tradition of the church. And we should be joyful about this, that God's given us that hesed. So would you pray with me? I'm just going to let us be silent for a moment before I pray. Would you take any point that you heard today, whether from the life of Ruth or from the life of Bathsheba, that may apply to you? And would you just pray that back to God or receive that from God or say, God, I, I didn't know that before. I didn't know you loved me that way. Or, Lord, in whatever way that you'd interact, I just want to give you some time between you and God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would um, afresh and anew renew our vision, or maybe for the first time in a long time, our, uh, your act of throwing your cloak over us, 
of being our Redeemer, of being a man like us, a human being. And in that way, you're our kinsman. You're not a God who is spirit only and transcendent from us and far away, but you came to walk among us, to be Emmanuel, God with us, and to be our Redeemer, our kinsman Redeemer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the chesed that you display in our lives. And may that flow through us. Make us more like you, Jesus. Resurrect things in our lives. And Lord, no matter where we've come from, our background of shame or abuse or, or misuse or of, uh, of death and loss, that, Lord, you would redeem that. And that, Lord, we would not lie as victims beneath the losses of our lives. But, but like Ruth, we'd rise above and cling in covenant to you and to other people and to your church. May both churches in this room today, Lord, may we represent the loving kindness, the long-suffering, the chesed of you, Jesus, to the people of Cody, Wyoming. May they be welcome in our churches. May they come to find you as their redeemer. May you resurrect what seemed to be dead. And Lord, may you fan again the flame that may be only smoldering in our lives to bring us into new life in you and great life. Lord, today we, we covenant with you that, Lord, your people are our people. Where you go, Lord, we will follow. Where your kingdom leads, we will be about your business. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.